It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning and welcome to Get Rich Flow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Flow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Flow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and CIPIC. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Last week, I wondered what happened in September and October. It was that time last week. It was cold and damp, but here we are. In November, and it feels like the start of the fall. What? Did winter pass us by? Highly unlikely. <laughs> I think the past week and, and parts of next week are part of Indian summer. It's that spell of nice weather after the first frost. But we have to make the most of it because Mother Nature is giving us one more week of time to enjoy the outside before the cold and the damp comes back again. One more week to get the outside chores done. One more week to find the warm coats and gloves. Yesterday, I did find my coats and gloves and and the winter coats. And maybe today I'll spend the uh, time breaking the leaves for a couple hours just to get some exercise. The the winds brought down a lot of the leaves, and I have to get to them before the rain and the snow makes the job impossible. But my pin oaks are being their usual stubborn selves. The pin oaks give us some of the leaves in the autumn, but they hold on to their leaves. That's so they can sprinkle the leaves down on the lawn over the late fall and winter. All the rest of the trees are bare. You know, the evergreens are still there, but the rest of the deciduous trees have lost their leaves. But my pin oaks, they're just sitting there, half there and half, half on the ground, half up in the air. No matter how much if, if, how much I rake the leaves, my pin oaks will just keep me busy by sprinkling more leaves until the spring. And this week, let's not forget uh, uh, Wednesday is Veterans Day, a day to remember our soldiers, sailors, marine, and airmen who have served in the armed forces to protect our country. They served and they fought to protect us, and, and some never returned. 
uh, Wednesday, there will be ceremonies in the towns and villages around Northeast Ohio. So find a time. Find a time to attend and remember our veterans. Remember, America is the land of the free and the home of the brave. This week, global equities were up almost everywhere. The major equity indices in the United States, the Europe, European Union, and Asia were positive this week. Global stock markets soared following the uh, uncertain outcome in the U.S. elections. Prior to Tuesday, there was a lot of concern regarding the possible volatility in the marketplace due to the uh, what could possibly come. Uh, we had the uh, uh, the president uh, to uh, select in the uh, House of Representatives and uh, one-third of the Senate. But judging from the uh, stock market rally this week, investors seem to be comfortable with whatever turns out. Um, so uh, to me, uh, that's the best return, the best situation of all, uh, in spite of the optimism that coronavirus continues to spread around the globe with almost 590,000 new cases per day. Uh, Europe has been the latest hot spot with approximately 250,000 cases per day. Well, the U.S. Is, has ramped up. We were running at about 80,000. Now we're up to 122,000 uh, new cases per day. Uh, the only uh, uh, the, the only uh, consolation uh, is that with improved ther- uh, therapeutics and treatment, the death tolls has not increased as fast as the number of, of cases. But the number of deaths in Europe and the United States are comparable at approximately 235,000 deaths in Europe and approximately the same number in the United States since this uh, coronavirus started. Uh, there's, there is economic justification uh, for the stock rally this week. Um, most of it, I think, was because of the election process. and. Uh, that essentially generated enthusiasm all around the world. Uh, but if we just take a look at the U.S. economic data, it's pretty good this week, too. The U.S. Department of Labor reported employers had added 638,000 jobs and sent the uh, unemployment rate down sharply to 6.9%. Uh, private sector employers added 906,000 jobs in October to help offset a, uh, a drop of 268,000 jobs in the public sector. Uh, part of the uh, job loss has been in the, re- in the release of the temporary census workers, now that the census is over, and part of the, uh, uh, the turn down in the public jobs is in the school systems where uh, this hybrid um, uh, learning system or uh, the, uh, uh, the teaching classes on the web and things of this nature have greatly reduced the number of people in the schools uh, that support people. Uh, we'll get to the details of this later in the show. And and uh, on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, the Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee meeting met to to assert you know reaffirm their commitment to keep the federal funds interest rates at the current uh, 
zero to one quarter of a percent range until they put conditions down. Uh, until one, the labor market uh, condition reaches the maximum employment level, and two, inflation has risen to two uh, percent and is on track to exceed two percent for some time. So uh, those are pretty pretty uh, stringent requirements, and they can they if you take a look at what that really means, you're you're looking at the federal funds rate staying down near zero until probably 2023. Uh, the other thing they talked about at their meeting was to support the recovery. The Federal Reserve is purchasing $120 billion a month in uh, uh, treasury notes and mortgage-backed securities, uh, $80 billion in uh, treasury notes and $40 billion per month in mortgage-backed securities. And this has expanded their asset portfolio to seven trillion dollars in June, from four trillion before the pandemic struck. Again, uh, we'll talk the details later in the show. Uh, with regard to unemployment benefits, the unemployment benefits this week uh, eased down to uh, seven hundred and fifty-one thousand for the week of uh, of uh, uh, October twenty-fourth through October thirty-first. And the continuing uh, state unemployment rolls uh, fell to 7,285,000, and that was down 520, uh, 530,000 from the previous week. And the uh, uh, Department of Commerce uh, reported that manufacturing uh, continued to increase in uh, September. Uh, orders for manufactured goods we're up uh, 1.2, 1.1%, or 5.2 billion to 475 billion dollars worth of orders for manufactured goods, and that was distributed in terms of the durable goods orders. Uh, we're up 1.9% uh, for September, and the non-durable goods orders were up uh, three tenths of a percent. What you're seeing there is that the uh, in the economy, the money that's not being spent on uh, restaurants and uh, travel and things of this nature, sports and concerts, uh, people are spending it on uh, basically on hardware, on uh, uh, cars and, and electronics and things of this nature. Also, the report indicated that orders for uh, manufactured goods in September were approximately 10% below September a year ago. So um, basically, in, in the U.S. economy is rising in a V-shaped recovery, but in the case of manufacturing, we're still 10% below where we were in September a year ago. Or I'd like to, re I re I'm continually referring to it as February, but, you know, before the coronavirus. In other words, we're we're, we've come from where we were shut the whole economy down in, um, in March and April to the point where we're moving up. And right now, uh, we're just 10% shy of where we were last year. So we'll get into the details of that later, too, and we'll talk about uh, how that applies to different sectors of the economy. And uh, uh, manufacturing uh, uh, also picked up in October, 
In other words, those numbers, the, the uh, 1.1% increase in manufacturing was from the uh, Department of Commerce from September. But in October, the Institute of Supply Management and the uh, mar- also the Market Corporation uh, come out with uh, their surveys. And their surveys are qualitative, but they're more recent. Uh, these are surveys for October where they've looked at all the things that the managers are saying about how this month compared to last month. And what they're showing is, for instance, in the Institute of Supply Management, that manufacturing leaped up from 55.4 in September to 59.3 in October. And that was that was uh, that increase was was generated by uh, in, increases in uh, in uh, orders, increases in shipments, increases in uh, backlog, things of this nature. So, uh, all in all, it's a, it's a good sign that uh, what we're seeing here is the economy is uh, picking up steam. Uh, you know, when we talk about uh, the economy and how well it's doing, you know, each week we get more good news about economic progress. And the important thing is to realize that uh, it's not just the the, uh, the big picture that's important. And the fact that the only reason we pay attention to the big picture is it gives us some insight into what is affecting our lives in our uh, incomes and our uh, wages. Uh, the real thing that we have to pay attention to in the law and our long-term goals is our financial plan. In other words, what does our financial plan look like? If we put together um, a financial plan that says, these are the goals that I have. I have, uh, um, if you're young, I, I want to get uh, married. That's going to cost money. Uh, a family is going to cost money. Uh, I need a better job. I need a better education. Uh, how am I going to support uh, uh, the standard of living of a family with a with a house and uh, all the uh, the expenses that go along with raising a family? How am I going to educate them? How am I going to get uh, ready for retirement? And all these uh, goals have to be funded. And uh, uh, how do you fund them? Well, you sit down with your income, which is generally your one wage or one paycheck or two paychecks, and uh, have a budget in front of you and allocate so much money to uh, the uh, utilities and to the house payment and to the uh, shopping uh, at the supermarket. And and uh, then before you actually do all that, you have to say, hey, how much do I need for retirement planning? At least you have a 401k or a retirement plan at work that, that you have to uh, fund, or maybe you don't. Maybe you have to uh, put together your own retirement fund. So you've got that to worry about. You've got uh, a down payment. If you don't have a house yet, the down payment for the house. If you do have a house, are you going to uh, scale up or you're going to scale down. Uh, these are all the things that basically require money. And when the time comes, you've got to have the money. So uh, that that means that you've got to put money away for your 
emergency funds. And by emergency funds, I mean six months' worth of uh, living expenses. And, uh, uh, you know, March and April of this year uh, were really a wake-up call. If you didn't have your uh, uh, $30,000 or $40,000 sitting in the bank uh, and you were worried about where where you were going to get your money after you were laid off, uh, these are things where you have to have emergency funds. You have to have uh, uh, money uh, set aside for your retirement, for your house, for your for your standard living, for everything. So uh, it, it's a a job that has to be done. And once you do it, it gives you the great great comfort of knowing that uh, uh, you're you have a plan and you can modify that plan as you go through life and, and your goals change. A lot of the goals will stay the same, but certain goals will change. So uh, you can modify it. You can keep track of your investments and saying, okay, uh, or am I putting enough money aside for this particular goal? And am I making, uh, am I uh, wasting my time with this particular investment? What type of investment should I have? These are all the things that a part of your financial plan and part of financial planning. And that's why uh, uh, that's why if you're wrestling with questions and problems and things of this nature, uh, uh, you can give us a call. We have a toll-free number here. It's 1-888-281-1110. Just give us a call, and we'll be glad to talk about mm, uh, whatever you basically uh, are thinking about. So uh, this is Jim McAleese. Uh, You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. you give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. You know, I was talking about all the different uh, uh, goals and all the different processes of of uh, meeting those goals, and a lot of them is uh, understanding what your uh, what your financial instruments are really capable of doing. Your IRAs, and your Roth IRAs, and your uh, Steps and your simple plans and your retirement plans and, and uh, all the all the, uh, the uh, facilities, all the ideas and plans that are available for squirreling away that uh, uh, money for the goals that you have, and what are the tax ramifications and what are the expected returns and things things like that. So. Pay attention to your financial plan, and let's talk about, let's get back to what we were talking about before, and that is uh, what happened this week in terms of uh, the employment situation. And what we're seeing in the employment situation is that uh, um, basically the Department of uh, Labor, uh, they came out with their uh, report on the payroll situation. And they declared that uh, uh, employers had uh, employed 638,000 
workers in total this uh, for September. Uh, oh no, this is for October. I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, uh, out of this, the uh, 906,000 of them of these individuals were employed in the private sector, and something like 200,000 uh, were uh, came from the 206,000 uh, were uh, laid off from the uh, public sector. And part of that was uh, uh, the census workers as well as uh, uh, school workers, both at the uh, state level and as well as at the uh, local school level. Uh, these are mostly support level, support em- employees uh, who, uh, you know, there just isn't... Uh, the requirement now with all the different methods of teaching in terms of hybrid and things of this nature. But we have to remember that we have, in this uh, employment system in the United States, there are approximately 151 million workers. And uh, uh, in the the, uh, U.S. uh, employment system, what we're seeing is that uh, out of this number, a certain group work in uh, goods-producing industries, and those are manufacturing, construction, and mining. And uh, there's approximately 21.1 million people work in that particular area, and manufacturing has about 13 million, uh, construction has about 7 million, and mining has about uh, less than a million people uh, working in those areas. That's out of a total workforce of close to 150 million people. Uh, the rest of the people are, are basically in uh, uh, the service industries. And if we look back and say, okay, where where were the uh, additions and subtractions to the uh, workforce? What we're seeing is wholesale trade in October increased uh, 6,400 jobs and uh, uh, but still, wholesale trade is still 312,000 fewer jobs today than in February. Retail sales in October added 104,000 jobs, and uh, a lot of that gain was in appliance stores and uh, electronic stores and things of this nature, as well as uh, automobile uh, sales and furniture sales. So. But indeed, in that particular area, we're still down close to 500,000 jobs from February. Transportation and warehousing increased uh, 63,000 jobs in October, with uh, uh, warehousing and storage up 28,000, and transit and ground transportation up about 25,000. Financial services increased uh, 31,000 jobs in uh, October. Personal and uh, uh, business services increased 208,000 jobs. And uh, uh, what you're seeing there is that temporary help uh, was basically 109,000 of the 208,000. So health and social assistance added 79,000 jobs. And in terms of manufacturing, manufacturing, uh, had added 66,000 jobs last month. This month, they only added 38,000 jobs. 
and uh, a lot of those jobs were in fabricating metal products and and uh, steel and aluminum production, and some in uh, wood products. Uh, construction added 84,000 jobs in in uh, October, with the, the residential construction has been booming. And also what you're seeing is commercial construction and also um, heavy engineering, uh, road construction and things of this nature are also picking up. Uh, what you're seeing in the service industries is basically uh, there's five times as the number of people working in the service industries as there are in the uh, goods-producing industry. The biggest increase this month or in October were in leisure and hospitality, where they increased by 271,000 jobs in October. Now, how that how that's going to hold up with regard to the winter uh, coming on and getting more serious is a, is a big question. And the uh, in the case of the uh, government employment, what we see is the federal government has approximately uh, 2.9 million people, and uh, they lost 138,000 jobs, and most of those were in the uh, uh, census workers. And the state has approximately 4.8 million people that work in the the 50 states of the United States, and they lost 65,000 jobs, mostly in the school system. And the uh, uh, local government, they own, they they hire approximately 13.7 million workers, and they lost uh, 65,000 jobs in the uh, employment sector. So, what you're seeing there is that the employment is increasing, uh, uh, not as fast as uh, people would want it to increase, but still, it's getting back to where it uh, should be. And, in uh, the case of uh, a normal economy. And uh, another thing that happened this week was that uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday, the Federal Open Market Committee meeting met, and uh, they they made a, uh, a press release on uh, uh, Wednesday. And in there, they gave an assessment of where they think the economy is right now and what they're going to do to basically help out from uh, from their viewpoint. And basically what their assessment is, quote, uh, quote out of their release, economic activity has continued to recover from its depressed second quarter level. The reopening the economy led to a r- rapid rebound in activity, and real gross domestic product rose at an annual rate of 33% in the third quarter. In recent months, however, the pace of improvement has moderated. Household spending on goods, especially durable goods, has been strong and has moved above its pre-pandemic level. In contrast, spending on uh, services remains low, largely due to ongoing weakness in sectors that typically require people to gather closely, including uh, travel and hospitality. They then went on to say that the housing sector is fully recovered from the downturn, supported by low mortgage rates, and business investment has also picked up. But even so, overall economic activity remains well below its level before the pandemic, 
and the path ahead remains highly uncertain. In the labor market, roughly half of the 22 million people that lost jobs in March and April have regained as many people uh, were able to return return to work. So their assessment of the economy is that uh, things are moving, uh, but they're not moving as fast as they were before. Uh, one thing that they've reaffirmed their intention to do we quote we expect to maintain an accommodation an accommodative uh, sense of monetary policy until these employment and inflation outcomes are achieved. With regard to interest rates, we continue to expect it will be appropriate to maintain the current zero to one quarter percent test range for federal funds until labor market conditions have reached levels consistent with the committee's assessment of maximum employment and inflation has risen to 2% and is on track to moderately exceed 2% for some time. Freely translated, that means we're going to keep the federal funds rate down close to zero uh, until we get back to full employment and inflation that's higher than uh, 2%. And uh, uh uh, Jerome Powell, who is the chairman of the Federal Reserve, then goes on to say, uh, at this meeting, my colleagues and I discussed our asset purchases and the roles they are playing in supporting the recovery. At the current pace, our holdings of securities are rising at a substantial rate of $120 billion a month with $80 billion per month of treasuries and $40 billion per month of agency mortgage-backed securities. When they say agent mortgage-backed securities, they mean uh, mortgage-backed securities that are backed by the federal government. Uh, we believe these purchases, along with very large purchases, will help uh, help us uh, um, overcome this uh, particular financial uh, crisis. Uh, just give you a, a basic uh, idea of where the money is in the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve. Uh, uh, officials cut interest rates to zero in March and expanded their asset portfolio to $7 trillion from $4 trillion before the pandemic hit. Uh, they launched an array of uh, emergency funding programs in the spring. And uh, right now, and of course, I just mentioned they're buying $80 billion in treasuries per month and $40 billion in mortgage-backed securities. Per month, uh, that's that total of 120 billion dollars a month is larger than the 85 billion dollars uh, per month purchases during the Fed's largest bond buying program during the 2008 uh, crisis. And uh, one important difference was that uh, these bonds uh, that they're uh, the treasuries that they're buying now are generally averaging. Uh, 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 six six years maturity versus the twelve years maturity that we saw in the qualitative easing, and uh, uh, they intend to keep on buying this at 120 billion dollars. They were they didn't put a a time on how long this buying was continued, and uh, uh, one of the things that they one of the directors of the Federal Reserve 
Uh, I think I'm not quite sure it's the Boston Bank presence of the Boston Bank or the uh, some other bank in the Federal Reserve System. And his response to what, uh, the questioning was a lack of fiscal uh, policy is a much bigger problem than what we're dealing with now on the, uh, in the uh, balance sheet. So if you take a look at the big picture from the viewpoint of, uh, of uh, the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve basically provides the money to make sure that companies don't go bankrupt and keeps the credit flowing in the United States. What he's saying is, and is right now that the Federal Reserve feels that there's more need for the government to throw some money into uh, spending, you know, like the $1,200 checks and the unemployment, because that money goes directly to the consumer, who is the people that are hurting the most. The Federal Reserve is taking care of the companies to make sure they don't go bankrupt, but the people basically uh, need that uh, money uh, to be able to keep the economy rolling. So this is Gib McAleese. You're listening to Get It Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultant Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Sally, did I see a light there? Did yes, you, you did. Michelle gave us a call, and she's going to listen. She's um, in her car running around. But she said some of the people that she hangs out with at work are talking about doing a Roth conversion. And she was hoping that you would give some pros and cons to that. Okay. Uh, let's, let's talk about uh, what a Roth is. A Roth conversion basically is a process of moving money directly from a, a pre-tax uh, account, like a traditional IRA or a 401k. What you're going to do is move that money from that account into a Roth uh, IRA account. And, of course, along the way, you're going to pay the tax bill. Uh, imagine that, you know, paying taxes. Paying taxes before you have to. That's totally unheard of. But, hey, 
there's a strategy there too. Uh, the only reason it really makes some sense is if you believe your future tax rate will be higher than your uh, current tax rate. So uh, what do you think is going to happen to the tax rate? So uh, if you're in your peak earning years, uh, let's say your your peak earning years are generally from, let's say, 30 to 55. Uh you're going to be paying, uh, uh, you're going to have your salary and uh, your money coming in. And uh, if you go to um, uh, convert from a Roth to a, uh, convert from a traditional to a Roth IRA, uh, the money that you're uh, converting is going to be added to your uh, wages. So that's going to be, you're in a high tax bracket already. That's going to push you even higher. Uh, the question really boils down to is looking at predicting your tax uh, bracket uh, over your lifetime and saying, okay, uh, during those peak years, uh, probably you shouldn't convert. Uh, you're going to be paying a premium for every dollar converting and instead at this particular time in your peak years, you should be looking for deductions. Uh, you should defer your income until you get into your uh, lower tax uh, obligations. Now, I'm saying this in general uh, because uh, every situation is different. You know, like for instance, like uh, some people uh, put money into their youngsters' uh, IRA. Uh, so if you're funding your youngster's IRA, uh, uh, that money should go into a Roth IRA because their tax rate is so low. You know, they're, uh, they have to be, certainly they have to be old enough to have earned income. You can't put money, you can't put baby's money into, <laughs> into a Roth or even into a regular IRA, uh, because the, the, the earning capacity has to be there. But let's say the youngsters are, uh, 15 or 16 years old. So they've got some earnings from uh, odd jobs and things of this nature. So they get enough earnings to throw some money into an IRA. At that point, it should be uh, a Roth IRA. It, you know, they're going to pay a low tax rate, and the things are going to grow for 50 years. Uh, if you're in the high tax bracket right now in your real early years, then the money that you use for the conversion is going to be lumped in with the uh, uh, your wages, and it might bump you into another higher tax bracket. Another problem you have to work, work around with regard to the conversion is that um, the IRS expects, let's say if you got a $100,000 uh, IRA that you're converting, yeah, let's say for and I used a hundred thousand dollars just as a a number. Uh, converting a hundred thousand dollars from a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA. Okay, uh, the IRS expects a hundred thousand dollars to go to a hundred thousand dollars. Now, there's a tax to be paid there, though. Let's say the tax is twenty five percent. So, what? One way you could do it is to uh, uh, say, okay, I'm going to take this $100,000, I'm going to pay $25,000 taxes, and I'm going to 
have a $75,000 Roth IRA. But the IRS says, no, you can't do Well, if you do that and you're less than 59 and a half, we're going to say the $25,000 that you spent uh, on taxes uh, was a distribution. And uh, uh, we're going to charge you 10% penalty on that early distribution because you're 59, not 59 and a half. So they want to see you exchange that $100,000 into a $100,000 Roth, and you come up with the $25,000 at some place else. Uh, another, uh, you, ha- you really have to take, sit down with your, uh, uh, your accountant and go over this thing, because there's other problems, too. If you think, uh, for instance, if you have a 300, and, let's say you have two IRAs, you got a uh, IRA for $50,000 and you get another IRA for $300,000. And you say, well, I'm going to convert the $50,000 IRA to a Roth. Okay. Uh, you do that. And you think that, well, now I've got a $50,000 Roth IRA. I can take the money out of that $50,000 out without getting taxed. And not so. The IRS is going to come back and say, well, wait a second. You have $350,000 in uh, IRAs, and you paid your taxes on $50,000 of it. So approximately one-seventh of your uh, IRA money uh, you pay taxes on. So if you try to go go to your Roth IRA and say, I'm going to take all the money out of here, the tax computation is going to include that other one, and you're suddenly going to find out that you owe money when you take money out of that uh, Roth IRA. So a uh, little kind of too complex to explain over the the uh, radio, but uh, talk to your accountant. It's going to be involved sitting down, looking at your, your uh, expected tax uh, brackets uh, for the next 20 or 30 years and trying to figure out where the... Uh, where the lowest taxes are going to be, because that's the time you want to be. That's the time you want to be paying out money in taxes. So, uh, Michelle, I hope that uh, that gets you a start, anyhow. If you're thinking in the right direction, I uh, give you some problems and, and guidelines, but really talk to your accountant and go over the details. This is Jim McAlee. Oh, is there somebody else? Let's go to the uh, Terry. This is Jim McAlee. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Uh, my question is, uh, do you think the new Biden administration is going to tax the people that have uh, uh, substantial IRAs uh, on their Social Security? Well, we, we uh, uh, right now, the, the, the Biden tax uh, program uh, is aimed mostly at people who uh, make more than $400,000 a year. So he's going to push them up to the, uh, uh, these are his proposals, you know, before the election. He's going to push them up to the 39% uh, tax bracket. Uh, For those people that make more than a million dollars a year, uh, he is going to uh, take away the uh, capital gains so that any capital gains when you sell a stock uh, will 
not be taxed at the capital gains rate. They'll be taxed at uh, ordinary income. He's also talking about uh, increasing the uh, Social Security, uh, the uh, amount that's taxed. Right now, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but let's say it's $135,000. Uh, we're paying approximately 15.4% uh, for payroll taxes. Now, you pay half of that, and your, your employer pays half of that. And uh, the, the uh, uh, Social Security part goes up until you get to be about, uh, until you're making about $135,000. Uh, he's, he's talking about extending that to God knows what if you're, if you're I don't know these that I'm being flipped now. Uh, I don't know what he's really uh, proposing to do with regard to the upper limit on the Social Security and what will be taxed there. Yeah. So uh, nobody really so, knows because cause the guy lies so much. Well, the other part of it is that people are <clears throat> people are uh, uh, consoled by the very fact that uh, uh, the Republican Senate, in other words, if you look at um, the uh, situation uh, right now, I guess the Senate is in question uh, because the uh, there's an equal number of uh, of uh, Republican and, and Democratic senators, and then I guess there's two to be decided sometime in January from Georgia. Uh, people were feeling comfortable in the sense that. Uh, uh, at least there's a Republican Senate uh, to control any uh, uh, to put a break and to put uh, uh, it won't be one party controls the, uh, the House, the Senate, and the presidency. So that was consoling a lot of people. So I don't know whether it will work out that way because of that special election for those two senators from, from Georgia or not. Well, probably fix that like they fix this one, you know. Well, <laughs> that's, I, I don't know. What, what, what I'm expecting to see, what I'm expecting to see is that Trump, President Trump, will employ uh, as many uh, uh, legal tests as possible. Uh, but uh, this, we go through elections every, we go through elections every two years. So this process of counting votes and recounting votes and checking against fraud, there should be a whole uh, list of laws and procedures to go through in validating these uh, numbers. And the, the uh, important point is that there's a certain amount of time to conduct this, and they're going to go through it, and, uh, and as, as far as I'm concerned, the Go through it and, and use your lawyers and make sure that uh, everything is done according to the book. Okay? And at that point, whoever won, won. And whatever whatever is uh, really outstanding in the way of fraud and things of this nature, uh, we'll find out in all that proceeding. So I think the important point right now is to be patient and see what uh, transpires in all this, uh, uh, the next maybe month 
while they go through these uh, these uh, counts and recounts and and uh, legal proceedings. So, okay. Okay. Thank, thank you. Have you a nice day. You too. Bye bye. This is Jim Bagalese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll free number. It's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. Hey, we talked about uh, what's happening in the United States, and we so far we said, hey, um, the uh, the uh, Federal Reserve is going to keep the uh, credit system operating. There's going to be money for loans. There's going to be money to buy bonds. Uh, all of that is an attempt to reduce the bankruptcies in the companies because we do have a lot of we do have a lot of problems uh, we're making progress but we've got problems with regard to people paying their rent uh, both uh, uh, in residential uh, situations as well as uh, commercial situations uh, we've got problems with regard to restaurants and, and food services and tours and, and airlines and everything else but uh, the, the the Federal Reserve and the government is doing just about everything possible to uh, uh, to make sure that, uh, that when this was all over, that there wasn't a lot of companies that were lost, a lot of jobs that were lost, it'll never return again. So basically, uh, when you look at it, uh, the people are spending. The money is being made available. The only question is this uh, uh, this next uh, stimulus. In other words, the, the stimulus program so far, the Federal Reserve has loaned out something like $3 trillion. That money will be repaid. The federal government has kicked in $3 trillion in money that uh, uh, for fiscal stimulus. That money won't be repaid except over the next 20 years in taxes. And they're talking about taking in another two trillion. Uh, whether that's done uh, next week or next month, uh, uh, that is important to the people involved. But basically, to the stock market, that's not going to be that big and uh, not important because the stock market feels that the, the stimulus is coming. Uh, there's been enough negotiations. They've gone from three and a half trillion on one side. And, and to and one trillion on the other side to the point where they're zeroing in on approximately two trillion right now. So uh, I expect that money, that agreement will be made. And uh, uh, everybody is trying to get this economy rolling again. People are spending, people are buying cars, people are buying houses, uh, factory orders for manufactured goods uh, were up 1.1%. In uh, September, that's according to the uh, Department of Commerce in their uh, monthly full report on manufacturer shipments, inventories, and orders for September. And what they do show is that they 
Manufacturing orders are up 1.1%. Uh, that's $5.2 billion increase to a uh, $575 billion worth of orders for manufactured goods in September. And the shipments are up three-tenths of a percent, or $1.6 billion for $482 billion worth of goods that were shipped in uh, September. And uh, you take a look at it and say, okay, that's manufactured goods. How much is durable? How much is non-durable? Durable is things like refrigerators and cars and things that will move lawnmowers that will last you three years or more. Uh, durable goods are up 1.9% for the month. And uh, last month they were up a half a percent. The month before they were up 11%. The month before they were up 15%. And uh, at 1.9% is an increase of $4.4 billion in, manu- in durable manufactured goods for a total of $237 billion for uh, September. And non-durable is much stuff like uh, oil refining, uh, food production, things of this nature. Uh, They're up uh, three-tenths of a percent. So what you're seeing is that uh, uh, in terms of uh, manufacturing, we are are basically closing in on uh, where we were in... uh, before the coronavirus, in, uh, uh, for instance, like uh, metals, uh, iron and steel, were down 12% from where we were a, a year ago. Uh, fabricated metal products, down 5%. Computers were up 2%. Motor vehicles were down 6%. All those numbers are good numbers, considering that we're digging ourselves out of a giant hole. Uh, same thing with regard to the Institute of uh, uh, Supply Management. They're talking about uh, what they're seeing in terms of uh, manufacturing for uh, uh, manufacturing for uh, October. And uh, chemical products, uh, business continues to be robust. Sales are greater than expectation. Cost pressures are modest. Things of this nature. You know, they they talk and talk about uh, what they're seeing, and what they're seeing is basically uh, a good, clear running field ahead in most of your in most of your uh, areas. Uh, for instance, like uh, uh, construction, construction materials have leveled off; they continue to be at an all-time high. Mills for boards uh, and sheet stock have pushed out. Lead times. That's they're talking about furniture and and uh, related products, uh, machinery. Business is almost back to normal levels. All right. and this is it's all it's basically good news in that regard. So this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This weekend, we need to take some time to reflect on the sacrifices that our soldiers, the sailors, Marines, and airmen who have served or are now serving our country have made for us. So be sure to say a prayer for them and for their families on Wednesday, a Veterans Day. 
But we don't have to restrict our prayers and thanks to only one day. Our hearts and prayers should go out to them every day. Our thoughts are drawn to the sacrifices of our young men and women overseas. But we all remember the days when we wore the uniform. We also remember and hold dear the memories of our fathers, uncles, and brothers who also served. Last year, one of our listeners sent me an article that they clipped out that spoke to the veterans. The title was, In Honor of the Veterans. Quote, For those who have served in the armed forces of the United States of America, we are eternally grateful. For the lost sons and daughters of war, we can only swear on our sacred honor that we will never forget their courageous sacrifice. And we pray that theirs may be the last. The war is not intrinsically a noble or an honorable endeavor. It is those who rise to the challenge and engage in it for the greater good that make it so. They are all of us and we are them. When one of them dies or is missing, our resolve is strengthened by the loss equal to the degree that the lost soldier is honored and remembered by we who remain alive and free. Thus, it's our patriotic duty to honor those who have been lost in the service of our country and never allow them to be forgotten. So this week, take a minute to reflect on the sacrifices that others have made for us. And until we meet again, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.